When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ginger Birkenbuehl, and I'm Esther Ikoro, and we're the hosts of the Honest Field Guide podcast. Entrepreneurship is no joke. The journey is full of anticipation, failure, hope, and disappointment. You'll make money and be totally broke at the same time. The Honest Field Guide podcast tells you the truth. We know being an entrepreneur is crazy hard, and you will sometimes cry dinner. Listen in to be inspired, laugh, and learn how to really thrive on your business journey. Hey, Ginger. Hey, Esther. How's it going? <laughs> it's going awesome. You know, Ginger, something that sets most businesses apart, the ones that really excel, is, is great branding. And we talk about good branding a lot. In this age of immersive branding, I think it's really important to have great examples of companies that are really, really doing it at a really impactful level. Yeah. And yeah. a really good example of that is Little Fish Accounting. Absolutely. Little Fish Accounting. Who do we have here with us today? I'm so excited. We're sitting next to Keela Hill Trawick. And I'm, I'm having an out-of-body experience because um, I found her online as I was looking for a company um, that has tremendous, amazing branding, great visuals, and happens to be Black-owned. And lo and behold, was rummaging around you know, the Instagram uh, magical box and came across this great uh, company called, you know, Little Fish Accounting. Um, and I just was blown away by it. And, and because of that, I included Little Fish Accounting in one of our Google Digital Coaches presentations yeah. to talk about how to present and create a brand for your business confidently. And what happens, but the owner is actually sitting next to me now. We're, yeah. in, we're in Washington, D.C. I've been pointing to you as stock photography <laughs> for several months now. <laughs> and finally. Finally, we actually have the woman here herself. Um, welcome. Thank you. Keela is a strategic business advisor who partners with freelancers, solopreneurs, and small businesses to plan and reach their financial goals. After spending a decade working in both the government and private sector, Keela launched Little Fish Accounting to serve as a trusted powered partner in financial and tax planning to drive business results and growth. Keela holds a BBA in accounting from Georgia State University, an MBA from Mercer University, and is a licensed certified public accountant. She has held multiple senior level accounting and finance positions at corporations such as Home Depot, Georgia Pacific, UPS, CNN Turner, Broadcasting, Comcast, and various federal agencies. Based in Washington, D.C., Keela now services small businesses nationwide through Little Fish Accounting, a trusted partner in accounting and tax planning to drive business results for entrepreneurs and small businesses. So welcome, Keela. Thank you very much. I am really excited to be here. You know what I love about your company, Keela? I love that it's an accounting company. <laughs> like, because the thing that we hear most from people when small business owners specifically, when they talk about branding is, well, I'm a insert some sort of professional service. Yeah. 
How do I brand? What content do I create? What does branding look like? And I'm like, look at Little Fish. <laughs> look at this. <laughs> yeah. This is what it looks like. So tell me, is this your first company? Yes, this is my first company, and I didn't think I was going to do this. Um, I had, I was working full time. I had several friends who were either entrepreneurs or moving into entrepreneurship, who were essentially saying to me in various ways, "I just want to do what I do. I don't want to have to track these invoices or chase down payments or figure out my taxes. I just want to take pictures or consult or whatever the thing is that I do." And so initially my thought was, oh, I can just help you do that. And I had a very close friend who said, no, you could get paid for this. And I was like, I remember telling her I'm not an entrepreneur. Like I have a job. I work for the government. They pay me. I'm good. I'm not leaving. And so I started realizing, and I say this a lot in my calls with clients, I started realizing that there was a wide gap between small businesses and accounting services. So either people had a tax preparer, but not an accountant. Um, So they would come to me in January, February and say, hey, here's all my tax stuff. I would do their taxes and say, here are all the things that you can do for next year, but I can't change anything that you did last year. And so I wanted to be a resource that they could talk to before we got there. The other thing that I noticed was that larger CPA firms did not appear to find value in very small clients. And so if you ran a business by yourself or if you were a small partnership and weren't hitting like these multi-million dollar revenue goals, they weren't really trying to help you. And so I kind of stumbled and then worked my way into this is a place where I can use my skill and service towards really an underserved population when it comes to accounting. That's really interesting. So you had a government job. Yeah. You had a government job. So going from a government job to dedicating yourself to an underserved population, noble as it is, what led you to that decision? Like, I was bored. Mm. I was so bored. Mm. And I remember I switched jobs a lot. So like every two years, I would basically get another job and get a little bit of a promotion and get another job. And so... I remember talking to my husband one day and I was like, I hate this job. I need to get another one. And he was like, you don't need another job. You need a hobby. If you had something that fulfilled you outside of work, you wouldn't have to worry so much about work. And so Little Fish started to kind of fill that for me. How do I do something that feels like it matters in a way that government work felt very bureaucratic and like make sure everyone checks off this spreadsheet? But at the end of the day, I wasn't changing lives in that way. And so Little Fish allowed me to do that without going to medical school or something that felt outside of what I knew. It was like, how do you use what you already know to serve people that you care about? So you had moments where you were doing both at the same time. Oh, yeah. How long did that last? How did you, how did you deal with that? It was hard. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of flexibility at my job, so I was able to kind of shift my work hours as needed. But it quickly became apparent that I didn't like that job and I really liked Little Fish and just started thinking about, I mean, at the end of the day, the worst that can happen is that you have to go back to work. And I I already had experience. I'm already certified. I already have the education to support me. So quit. 
you could always get another job. I could, I've always gotten jobs. I've never not worked. And you're an accountant. You could always get another job. People always need to know what their numbers are doing. So, and yeah. so when you decided to quit, what was that conversation like? I mean, did you just sort of quit your job and then go home and tell your husband I quit? Or? I told my husband before I left. I So I had, I read a book called Company of One. Um, which has since kind of become my Bible for how I wanted Little Fish to work. I wanted to stay small. It was important to me that I not become this. I have 50 bookkeepers under me doing all of this work. I did not want to become that. And so I read the book and thought, oh, you can be super successful and not have to have 8,000 people on your team. And I took a flight home to Atlanta, called my husband, and I said, I think I'm going to quit. Wow. (laughs) And he said, okay. And I was like, that's it? Okay? Like, he was like, I... What were you expecting him to say? I thought he would be more nervous. I just, I I thought, I mean, I was making a good salary. (laughs) And so to just say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And this will be fine. He was like, well, I know how you work. And I know that you would not quit if you didn't already have these plans in place financially, emotionally, all of these things. So I was just waiting on you to get there. And so I came back from Atlanta and I was like, I have to tell my job because I can't hold this secret while I don't say anything. Came back to work on a Monday, I think Tuesday. I went to my boss's office and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And she said, do what? <laughs> I was like, this job, I, I don't want to do this. And she said, do you have another job lined up? I said, no. I just don't want to do this anymore. She was like, so what are you telling me? It's like, my last day is at the end of the month. I don't want to work here. But let me know what I can do to help y'all <laughs> be in line. <laughs> like, how, you when you're up how? How can you do it? But it was very, like, I thought after I said it, I would be really scared and really nervous about it. But it just felt really, I felt really relieved. I had, I was working all the time on both jobs. I felt like I really cared about the work that I was doing with Little Fish and less so the work that I was doing full time. I wanted to do a good job for them. But at the end of the day, I just kept thinking, you just want me to check boxes. And if I don't check the box, you'll just find somebody that checks the box. But with Little Fish, it feels like you are choosing me for something specific that I can do for you. Right. And that felt way better. And so I stayed for a couple of weeks. I left and it was tax season. And so I just wow. kind of was this like, just kept rolling. Oh tax just, season. The money just kept rolling. That's a t-shirt. I mean, so I, I, what I, what I think is really interesting is, um, you know, you do have a career, um, that doesn't allow you to easily pick up side jobs because like you said, people always want accounting. Um, so when you rolled out and the phone started ringing, why? How did it start ringing? I mean, because this because you were already doing freelance. And I so was your, already your existing doing clients it. were saying, "Now that you're free, I got more for you." Or did the act? Do they actually tell other people? And there was a word of mouth process because somehow you you got some, you got additional validation to tell you, "Wow." So an interesting thing about Little Fish is I have never actively marketed the company. Um, I've never, I think I've put out like maybe a couple of ads when I was running workshops. All of my business has come from word of mouth and Instagram. 
Um, so by the time I quit, I mean, my eyebrows are going a, up and Esther's like, she's got glints in her <laughs> eyes, but go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously I guess in the indirect marketing way that Instagram was doing, like reflecting what I was doing, but I, I didn't actively put out like, Hey, come to little fish. This is what we offer. So I already essentially had too much work before I quit. So by the time I quit, in my my pre entrepreneurship mind of what I thought free time looked like, <laughs> I thought, oh, what's that? I don't now know. Now I'll have a break because I won't be working all day. And all of my entrepreneurial friends were like, no, that is you will learn very quickly. And so basically, all the free time that I would have had filled gaps with like creating systems for Little Fish, figuring out if I needed to hire people. Um, Things like sectioning out what types of services I was going to offer and what buckets those fell into that went along with the fact that I had clients to service at the same time. So um, we're going to talk definitely about not marketing and not mm-hmm. buying advertising yeah, yeah. Anything on Instagram, but I want to understand a little bit about um, Little Fish, so about the branding space. Yep. And I'm, I mean, we're going to jump around. Little Fish. How did you come up with the name Little Fish? I love, <laughs> I love the name Little Fish Accounting. It's great. So part of it is kind of the play on Little Fish in a Big Sea, that there was this idea that I knew from the beginning that I wanted to focus on very small businesses and something that went smaller than small business. So for example, the SBA, the Small Business Administration says that small businesses are less than a million dollars. I knew I wanted to talk to people way below that um, because those are the people that didn't know that they needed the help or didn't necessarily know where to get it from. The other thing um, that I thought about when I started Little Fish was Finding Nemo and the Just Keep Swimming um, because there are, people are afraid of money. They are afraid of taxes. There is so much baggage that comes around finances that the initial knee-jerk reaction is to just put your head in the sand and be like, I don't know. So yeah. just forget it. I'm not afraid of else. money, though. Can I just make a point to say I love money and I want more Money's on Money is actually my favorite thing. Money. <laughs> I um, love so money. Mindset of abundance. So Little Fish, was this a vision you had in your head from the get-go or did you? where did you get your inspiration for the name Little Fish? I know, I know what you just said to me, but did you... Um, is this a word that you've used a lot? Is this a no. thought or a phrase that's been running through your life? Did you start writing things down and Little Fish jumped out at you? Nope. I had a note in my phone where I brain dumped words. Oh, wow. Okay. And those were side by side. They were side by side? Yeah. And Intentionally? so I just picked them. No. Oh, my God. Like, I, I think I it. was doing a run on, like, different ways to stay, stay small and then different ways to say there were words about entrepreneurship and business and how I was going to make that happen. And they just happened to be one after the other. And interestingly, I didn't have a name. So I was doing work, but they were sending word to, like, my regular Gmail address. And... um a woman that I was going to work with said, I want to do a, like a workshop with you, with my clients. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, so when do you think you could be ready? And I said, I don't even, my business doesn't even have a name. So give <laughs> me like a month so that I can get things together. Bet. Let me know when you're ready. And so I went home, looked through my note, little fish. Okay. You need to make a logo and then you need to buy the web domain right. and then figure out what you do with it later. But it has a name. You can go forward from there. So I like that 
way you describe that process because oftentimes um, when I'm working with clients, I have you know we have a brand strategy agency, Burt Creative. Um, you know, people get really hung up on the name and they stop everything and they they get overwhelmed and afraid of that process. Yeah. Um, and and they don't even have a client yet. You know, yeah. and you're <laughs> and like, like, I have to get this part. Oh my gosh, no like what are we doing? You. you know, and I and it's fine. I, I get it because it, you know, branding is a, is it can be a scary, a scary thing, but um you had motivation, you had an opportunity and someone yeah. said we want you to present. And so that to me sounds like you knew you had to show up differently. What was going on in your head when she said to you, I have an event, I want you to show up and do this thing. Let me know when you're ready. You just started locking in and planning. I mean. Yeah, I think my first thought was someone is giving you an opportunity and you need to figure out how to capitalize on that. At the end of the day, if Little Fish ended up not being the name, so we change it. But at least for now, you have a name that you can go under and talk to people about. And so- I don't even know that at the time I was married to keeping it so much that I was like, that is a box checked. You have a name, make a logo, figure out what you want this to look like, what you want the brand to feel like. But all of that is just afterthought from, can you start sending emails from your name at Little Fish Account? (laughs) (laughs) And so now um, I love the visual branding. Mm -hmm. Why don't you talk... Tell me how you came up with your visual branding. You know, what what was that process like? Because the name itself is is it immediately brings images to your mind. And I think that's what does make a powerful brand is when you can actually visualize something. Now, some people have descriptive names like you have, and other companies have to create the visuals, which then end up being the brand. Like Coca-Cola is not something that you associate with any right. now other right. than a bottle, but it took them years to get that. So how did you come up with your visual? application of Little Fish and maybe even describe it a little bit since we're on a podcast. The first thing that I thought about when I thought about branding Little Fish at all was that I did not want to feel stuffy. So one of the things that I recognized when I started this business was I was going to have to be able to show up as my full self. And that meant that as a black woman with locks and tattoos and all of these things, I was going to have to exist in that way. And that is not how you typically see accountants. And so my thought about Little Fish was that Little Fish had to show up in that way too. It had to feel authentic. It had to feel not scary. And it had to talk to the people that I thought were important, not just to be clients of mine, but because they're small business owners in the world that need help. And so as I started doing things specifically on Instagram, my first thought was it cannot be platitudes. I didn't want to be a person that just said, Money is always coming. It will be fine. Don't be scared of it. The IRS is not trying to get you. Cute picture at the top. Right. It needed to feel like it was valuable. Um, And I wanted it to feel light. Um, When I started kind of creating the website and what I wanted my grid to look like on Instagram and how I wanted everything to kind of lay out, it was important to me that it didn't feel heavy because, again, with all the baggage with money, it needed to feel like you were coming to a respite at Little Fish. So wait, let me ask you something. Mm -hmm. You're describing a process before you get to the visual branding. Is this something that evolved through your process of coming up with the deliverables and applications of the brand? Like you didn't have the logo on a piece of paper first and then you started making the website? No. That's not how you did it? No, I made a logo and then I had a landing page. And then literally people would ask me for things and I would think you should make a page for that. So enough people would ask me about services that I would think, 
oh, you should go make a services page. So you had the logo though, right? Is what you're saying though. You I actually, made it. So talk about how you created this visual identity because one of the challenges that small businesses have is, and I do want to ask about this later, you know, how did you actually, how do you find creative talent to work with you as you're growing? But um, you know, describe this, this uh, logo. Okay. So when I first started Little Fish, I knew that I wanted to have a, a not really minimalist, but I didn't want to use a lot of color. Mm-hmm. For me, that okay. meant that I could do a lot of things and not have to stick within a color palette. If I was mostly black and white with one color, it's the only color that I had to worry about. I don't like a whole lot of choice. So <laughs> I thought if I narrowed it down, that would make it easier for me. Little Fish is in um, a playful font. That was important to me because I knew that I'd be working with a lot of creatives. And again, kind of hearkening back to this idea that accounting has to be really straightforward. But you as a business, if if accounting is not your business, you're not thinking in that necessarily organized or structured way. And so the juxtaposition of saying Little Fish would be playful, accounting would be like very clear and straightforward was the difference between the type of clients that we service and then the type of work that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, the fish, it took me a long time to find the fish. I couldn't find fish that I liked. I didn't want them to look too realistic. I didn't want a big fish. I wanted to make sure they were small. And it was important to me that there was more than one because all of my relationships with my clients are partnerships. And so the idea was that we're doing this together. Regardless of what level that you come in on, you're not doing this solo. I'm in it with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like the way you talk about this. Um, did you go to art school or design school? No, I went to I love business she, school twice. I love how she laughed. That was like, <laughs> like no way, girl. Because before this, I never would have said that I was creative. I was going to ask you that, yeah. Yeah. No. Why not? What? What? I mean- you know, where does that come from? So what did you grow up doing when you were little? I mean, it's funny because I I had a conversation with my sister about this not that long ago. And she was like, you were absolutely creative. You used to draw. You played music by ear. Like we made up these games. All of that stuff felt creative. And then I think there came a point probably around college where it was like, yeah, that was fun. You need to pick an area where you can get a job. And make money. And make money. And I changed my major a ton of times, and then my mom was like, you need to pick something and graduate. (laughs) And I graduated on time, but I had made an A in one of my accounting classes. And I was like, well, forget it. I could probably do that. It's fine. And then I graduated from undergrad, went to work, and was like, this is boring. I definitely... (laughs) I do not want to do this. It happens to all of us. I swear to God, it happens to all of us. Yeah, I I went back to grad school with a marketing concentration. Oh my goodness, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then I went to go work in a marketing department. They found out I had an accounting background and just had me do all of the accounting for the marketing department. So I just kept, I was like, well, this is what you do. You're an accountant. You know, what I also love about the branding that you've created, which is this, this, you know, pastel light pink color with two fish swimming opposite of each other. Um, I don't actually think the little fish is too playful. It's not cartoonish. So it actually mm-hmm. does still have a serious feel to it. Yep. Um, which I think is great. Which I went through font by font. Did you really? Yes. You did that. I went How one at a time. How long did it take you? A very long time. Because- That's excruciating. You don't know you what you're looking for, really. I just yeah. kept thinking like, that's too cursive and that's not quite it. Yeah. And yeah, it took me a long time, but I I'm love very it. proud of it. Do you know what it's called, the font? Do you remember what the font's Cabin called? Cabin Sketch. 
cabin sketch. Oh my goodness. I mean, that's just, you know, so, you know, I, I'm, I am professionally trained, right? So when I hear how you're describing this process, I wish that other entrepreneurs had the stamina to go through what you're describing, because a lot of that is way outside of a comfort zone for most people. They don't have the confidence to make those kinds of decisions. I think that actually the, the bigger problem is that people just spend too, like, even when I was doing this, there had to be a finish point. I wasn't doing this for three months and then saying I can't start the business <laughs> no? until this is done. You mean you mean to tell me that what I do for a living when it takes me three months to come up with a brand identity for a client, that that's like way too long? It's, Just kidding. Yeah, I was about I'm to say. I'm not throwing shade on myself. <laughs> I was going to say it's way too long for people who want to start. Got you. Mm-hmm. That I was like, okay, we're going to do this. And it's going to take me a long time today. And then this got to be done by the end of the week because I have other work that I need to do. Earlier, you talked about how um, someone said you should be getting paid for what you're doing. You said, I'm not an entrepreneur. Right. So looking back on it, why did you say that initially? And what do you think about yourself as an entrepreneur now? I think that I thought of entrepreneurship as a responsibility for myself and other people that I didn't want to take on. At the time, I'm working for the government. There's no, I'm not going to get laid off. You're going to keep paying me every two weeks, whether I get sick or I go on vacation or I'm I just need an off day. I'm getting the same check. And so the idea that I would trade that in for the risk of entrepreneurship, especially as an accountant, especially as an accountant who worked for the feds, I was like, why would you do that? You you already know your life and it's good. Why would you switch that up? And so I just, I think at the time, I didn't think that I had the bravery that entrepreneurship requires, that you have to step away, and especially because nothing was wrong. I know a lot of entrepreneurs who got like laid off, and this was their opportunity to start something because I don't have anything to lose. I had a lot to lose. And so the feeling of giving something good up for something that was almost completely unknown to me, I just didn't think I had the heart for that. Did you see people running businesses growing up? Were you around entrepreneurship at all? No. Okay. What does your parents do? My mother works for the government and my dad was in the military. Gotcha. I retired and works for a bank. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Yep. So you yeah. saw extraordinary stability. stability. <laughs> I took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. Just and I mean, to be fair, it. that was the thing when I was in school. My mother's thing was, if you want to be creative, that's later. But first, you get a job and you just work. And so the only way that I was kind of switching that up was by getting different jobs. It never occurred to me that you would not work for somebody else and make your own job. I mean, I, you know, one of the challenges that all of us have as black people in America is that, you know, the idea of having a creative artistic life is oftentimes in our families and communities not championed and not celebrated. Nah, because they tell you you're not going to make any money. You're going you're you're to be poor or homeless on the street with a tin cup, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we've talked to many entrepreneurs um, and all of them, probably if they had a choice, they would have been a creative from the beginning. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to start something again or start over or, or, or you know, if, if you were your younger self, again, knowing what you know now, would you still have chose accounting or would you have gone to design school or advertising school or marketing school or branding or what would you, or what do you think about that? 
I don't know. I mean, part of me thinks there's a way that my brain is wired that allows me to do accounting in a way that other accountants don't necessarily do. Mm. And so maybe I still would have chosen accounting because now I know I can teach it and I can talk in regular speak about it. And that feels interesting in ways that I can integrate design and those items without design being my job. But I don't know because all I know about design is what I've done for Little Fish. So maybe if I had gone to school for it, it would have been great. Well, I mean, that's actually a good lead for my next question because I want you to talk about your brand extension. One of the reasons why um, I looked at your work and featured it in one of my presentations is because you don't just have a logo. I mean, you have an extended brand, and this is something that a lot of companies don't understand, and they really, really struggle with how to maintain consistency across every single touch point. Mm, I mean, you're mm-hmm. doing the kind of work that people pay a lot of money to my agency to create, and you're doing it on your own, which I think is tremendous. And I'm not suggesting you don't have people helping or you right, don't right, bounce right. off, but I'm saying, for example, when I type your name, your name in Google you have captured the entire experience on Google search. Mm, And this mm -hmm. really has to do with a brand extension because you're, you know, obviously leveraging search engine optimization on your website, but you're also present in multiple places. When I type in little fish accounting, you're everywhere. And not only are you everywhere, but you also show up um, in image search. Mm -hmm. You show up in regular all search um, there's videos. I mean, you've really taken your brand, not just your logo, because the logo is a piece yeah. of an actual conversation that you're having with your company. You know, you have press kit, website, you have a podcast, you have um, merchandise, you have consistency of language on your Instagram channel. So, you know, you're doing all this. Can you talk a little bit about where that came from or did this I mean, did you, you know, you talked earlier about, you know, putting things down, checking off boxes and spreadsheets and, and organizing buckets and audience and things like that. Though. You didn't think it through. No, but I will say that, I'll, that part of this is probably naturally because of circumstance. Because I was doing it by myself, for myself, it was always my voice. It had to be consistent because it was always me. I think it would have almost been more difficult if I had to hand that off to somebody and then tell them sound like me. And at the beginning, there was obviously no help. And so as I kept going through and making things, in order to not reinvent the wheel, it was easier to make it look similar. Mm -hmm. And so Hmm. there would be things like I would put something up on Instagram, then I would look at my grid, and I was like, that doesn't fit. It doesn't look like it goes, so I'm going to take that out. Even when I get my photos taken, this idea of like it has to look like a picture that I would normally put up has to look like my natural smile or that I'm actually working and not this hand over pin, (laughs) but kind of looking away thing. I was like, I don't operate like that. That doesn't look like me. And so really being intentional, but almost circumstantially, because if I'm the one doing it, I know what I look like. I know what I like. I know how I sound. And if anybody else is going to do something for me, it needs to sound like it came out of my mouth. Well, that was easy to do when it was coming out of my mouth. Can I ride with you? I know you still remember. So I, I look at these images and I know that one of the things that Esther loves about your branding are your images. I mean, they're yeah. beautiful, they're clean, they're simple. Um, I'm just taking a look at just looking at the Google search now. The clothes you wear are aligned with my image of Little Fish Accounting. 
Ah, you know, yeah. I mean, the backgrounds you choose, the colors and things like that. I mean, these are the types of things that are either natural for you or they're not. Or did you find amazing partners um, to help you communicate your essence so that it actually shows up properly? Both. I Everybody that photographs me, I know. Or like if I didn't know them, I met them, talked to them. We had an Instagram friendship, something. I had seen enough to say... I think that you can capture me in a way that I want to be shown. So wait, were you looking for people this way? Not at first. It sounds like, okay, you weren't. But as I've selected photographers since, specifically, like I I wouldn't ever just reach out probably to somebody and be like, oh, you take really nice pictures. Could you take pictures of me? It would have to be somebody who, I needed somebody to take my pictures who knew me and what I was trying to show. And I think there are photographers who can take really good photos and they'll be pretty but they won't reflect what I want to show to the world as me and as the brand. Um, and so I've been really specific. When someone says that they can take pictures for me, I'm like, that's cool. Who are you? Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get a sense you of like. You didn't just grab the like event photographer that was at the. How does your energy big- <laughs> work? Do I like talking to you? Do I like you? Because it doesn't matter how good your pictures are if your process feels annoying or if I wouldn't want to sit and talk to you otherwise, I don't need you. Or if they just can't capture you in your best light. Exactly. I mean, there's some simple fundamentals where, you know, there are professional photographers, I think that, like you said, do a really great job. But I've had photographers that have amazing portfolios, but they've not been able to take really pictures of me that I've even like looking at. And I only pick black photographers because I think that there's a way that they are able to capture color that, I mean, I'm going to give them the shine to be able to do that. I also think that they understand, like, how the melanin has to be reflected and not, you know, when you're changing things in the picture or updating color or something like that, that you recognize that this is my real color and I still want to show up like that. Um, And so I've been intentional about that as well. We talk about that in our workshop, actually. I talk about that in a segment of our workshop where we talk about like color temperature and the way that the color temperature of your photos come up, Yep. um, which is really important because like you said, photographers can have a really great portfolio, but not necessarily know how to light or color grade brown skin. Um, So when it comes to authenticity, I always look at like, I'll say it H&M and I'm like, wow, no one did her hair at all. Okay, cool. (laughs) Right. And I need photographers who are going to be like, that lock is out of place. Just like, move it over. This is not supposed to look like this. No. And Um, that's actually, those are, that's a really good point. And I want to say why. So um, I do work for large corporations. And um, one of the things that I always have a conversation around as we try to understand who we're actually shooting Mm -hmm. for whatever the assignment is. Um, And I look for photographers and I actually don't necessarily always hire, you know, a black photographer. Um, I actually hire photographers that have experience shooting diverse people if the project is diverse. Um, And it's for the reasons you just described, because if I'm in an environment um, and they're representing my company, if they're on a photo shoot, and they're shooting an African-American woman and they start having random conversations about things that really make an African-American woman feel uncomfortable before yep. she's about to hit the camera, then that doesn't actually make me look good. And I've had situations like that before where I've had photographers on shoots and they have not had enough experience shooting people with dark skin. Yeah. And so not only is the makeup incorrect, it's reflecting light really strangely and you can't fix it, but they actually have to come in and take makeup off. Yep. And that really just creates sort of an uncomfortable environment. So I appreciate that 
this is something that's important to you because I think that, again, when you are an entrepreneur and you're creating a business and you're trying to brand um, where most of us don't necessarily have the the subtleties and the nuance and sort of the um, understanding of what they're trying to create as you do, um, you know, shortcuts are taken. And -hmm. sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You know, you're describing something that I believe should be uh, talked about incessantly and often, especially for black entrepreneurs, because um, one of the challenges we have is, is not necessarily always showing up the way we need to show up. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to understand a little bit about how you do that. Because when I first came across your brand, I immediately thought, wow, she spent a ton of money to make this happen. (laughs) You know, she's got 15 people working on her creative visual imagery. You know, she's Mm -hmm. got the best of the business. I mean, look at all this. So what, what is the thinking behind you and how you believe you have to be all the time? Because this is powerful. It's one thing to be at an event in person, but in today's environment, you have to show up like this online. Everything's got to look good and clean and organized and consistent. And that's what you're creating. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things around that. Authenticity is super important to me. And so the feeling like in pictures, on Instagram, on the website, I never wanted to come off in real life differently than you saw me online. And so if you look at my Instagram page, you should be able to meet me in real life and be like, okay, same, same. I could see that. And I did not feel like that was the case for everybody. Another thing is accounting is very high touch. And so you needed to feel like your books were in good hands. You needed to feel like you could trust me. You needed to feel like I knew what I was doing. And I thought that the cleaner I could make that look everywhere that I showed up, the easier I could make the case for why the way that you see me in these spaces is the way that your business will be taken care of. There is definitely a sense of familiarity that comes with your branding. And so I just want to go back a little bit to something you mentioned earlier about needing to know the people that you're working with that are Mm -hmm. helping you kind of scale your brand um who do you surround yourself with professionally like who do you have in orbit how did you meet them when did you decide to tap into those people I will say one of the hardest parts about entrepreneurship when I first started is that I felt like I didn't have peers in the same way all the people that I knew in accounting worked for corporate America and so their idea of like building a business and doing accounting on the outside was very different and so my initial kind of tribe was creatives who had built their lives around this we didn't start the same way but this feeling like yeah I've been doing this for a long time I make money doing it I am doing um, what I want to do. And these are the pieces that I've kind of learned along the way were really helpful. Um, I've also surrounded myself with people who don't even necessarily do entrepreneurship full-time. Maybe they're doing it on the side, but people who understand what it means to be more than the job that you're doing. I think that's what was eye-opening for me. I tell a lot of people, like, I thought I was an accountant. And then I started Little Fish and I was like, oh, you're a social media manager and a website designer and a part-time lawyer on contracts. And once I started hiring people, I'm also the HR department. And so I needed to be around people who had resources to say, 
yo, I think I need to do this thing. Do you know a person? And because they had done something, they were able to be like, oh yeah, I know somebody that edits podcasts or I know somebody that, I don't know, does design work or whatever the thing is that I needed in the moment. And so that's been really helpful to start off with a really, really small tribe and be able to network into, this is a person that you know and like and trust. And so I'm going to go with them. And so none of the people that I've worked with or, yeah, people that have worked for me, I found outside, but none of the people that I've worked with either didn't come from a direct relationship or somebody that knew somebody that referred them to me. It hasn't been a situation except for hiring where I've kind of gone out on the internet and said, hey, does anybody know somebody that can do this? It was like, I know you. I trust you. I like you. Do you know a person? And would you use that person? And I think in a lot of ways, it's been the way that the work has been reflected back to me at Little Fish is the way that I've gotten referred is I know her. I trust her. She gives good advice. Before you even start with her, you can look at her page or look at her website and see what kind of value she's adding already. Um, And so that was important to me that if you have to have all these touch points before you hire me, what do those look like for you? And do they feel like they're worthwhile? If I just throw out, hey, don't forget to pay your taxes, does that feel like you want to pick me over somebody else? Or is it because I'm giving you information to say, don't forget to pay your taxes. This is what estimated taxes look like. This is why you have to pay them. And you get that without even having to call and talk to me. So with it comes to what you're describing as not only talent acquisition, but client acquisition, how important do you feel your visual branding is for your client development? Oh, it's super important. I've had people who have called me and told me I was kind of picking between you and some other people and specifically chose you because your visual branding was so clean, your process was seamless, and everything looked super professional. Um, And that has been really cool, especially before I started intentionally thinking about it. I was just like, well, I'm glad you like it because I built it. Um, When did you start intentionally thinking about it? It was a while after I started. I don't think I started intentionally thinking about it until people started talking to me about stuff like, marketing funnels and stuff like that. Who and was I talking thought, about marketing funnels? Probably other entrepreneurs. And it ended up, not that a thing that I don't need, but it ended up, I realized that I didn't need it in the way that other people needed it. I had so much work that my goal was not to market to get more people. It was to make you aware that I existed. But at the time, you were booking out calls like two months in advance. There was no point in me spending money to hurry up and get you here to say, I'm glad you showed up. I'll talk to you in October. I mean, Esther, when I when I listen to Keela talk about this, I just think that it wasn't all ex- exactly planned. But I'll tell you, once she hit the ground, people recognized her mindfulness around her brand and messaging. She looked like she was in business from day one. You know, she showed up immediately. And I feel like um, many entrepreneurs, especially those that are starting out, they get really, really tripped up and they can't show up and look like they're in business right away. And I also think, too, um, you know, I do want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, showing up like this while you're a black entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. a black business person, right? Because uh, many of us have a much longer road to toe much higher stairs to climb. We have to show up perfect in order to be taken seriously, not only 
um, from other black people that may want to hire us, but from white people, obviously, that, mm-hmm. you know, are looking for signs that this, you know, black business person is not going to deliver. And so I think that um, one of the ways that, that that comes across is not having clarity and consistency and beauty and mindfulness and thoughtfulness and process around your business. And I think that um, what you've presented, there's no question about your capabilities. Well, and I think part of that is what I do. Like, I think if you're a creative that makes art, like obviously it's no shade to people that make art. I love it and buy it. But you don't have to build the same kind of trust. Your art just has to be good. And if you consistently show up with good pieces, people will pay for them. I had to take that a step further to say, I need you to give me your social security number, (laughs) your salary, I need to know everything about the taxes you have and haven't paid. I need to know everything about whether or not your business is actually profitable, not just all of the Instagram followers that you have, but like, are you making money? And so that was the thing. I think I had a unique, wasn't even a hurdle, but I had a unique piece to my business to say, not only do I have to show up and show out as a black woman online, I also have to show up as a black woman professional in which you have to put a very specific kind of trust. And so when I started building out items, when I started writing up copy for things, there was there was this point that I had to keep making to say, I know what I'm talking about. Um, I know what I'm talking about and I can help you. And so as long as I could keep making visuals, um, writing blog posts, doing whatever the thing was to say, you should trust me because you could have any accountant do your work, but I can do it specifically for the type of work that you do, almost forced me into a place where this had to be consistently different and consistently professional. And I, I, don't, I don't think that everybody has to deal with that the same way. I have a follow-up question around this because this, to me, gets to the heart of branding. Um, when I was looking at your work, um, I noticed that you use words that people in brand strategy use all the time, which is what is your brand promise to deliver? And what did I come across? But I actually came across a brand <laughs> promise statement for Little Fish Accounting. I'm going to read it. Yeah. Because I want to understand how you knew to do this. Did someone guide you? Well, how did you learn this? So this, this is Little Fish brand promise. We promise to provide services that recognize the humanity in your business because we know that you are the power behind the products. We promise to help you make your business run smoothly We promise to see you, to hear you, to be on your side. We invite you to seat us at your table. I mean, that's great. I wrote that. That's awesome. I didn't even know that that was a thing that people always do. So Uh, I'm reading it off of little, I'm reading it off of Creative Mornings. Um, Creative Mornings is a a platform that's across the country mm -hmm. and they bring people in to have conversations around uh, things related to creativity in the business space. Um, So brand promise statement. Brand promise statement. So, did you know that nah. there's such a thing as a brand promise statement? Nah. You know what? I love you. No, <laughs> <laughs> I did oh not know God, that until you, you just so said it just now. Yeah, do a search on Google brand promise statement. How do you craft one? I. Why did you come up with a brand promise statement? Because I knew that I had to tell people why they should pick me. I knew that there had to be something that was beyond. I can get your books together. I can do your taxes. There's a space in between that had to say, I recognize you as a human being, as a small business owner that has a thing that they don't know how to do that I do. 
And so that is my promise to you, that at the end of this, for me, it was bigger than the accounting. I think that, I guess I'm realizing this as I'm saying it, it was always bigger than the numbers. I knew that I could do your taxes. I knew that I could do your bookkeeping. If you needed your profit and loss statement, I could get that I mean, anybody can, right? Almost. Almost. I mean, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Any accountant especially can do that for you. What was important to me was that you knew what to do with those numbers, that once I handed it back to you, you were able to make strategic decisions about your business, that you could grow it, that you could figure out if you could quit your job or pay yourself or whatever the thing was. And I think if we only focus on the numbers, if we only look at like, did you make a profit? What does your balance sheet look like? Then it undermines like, is the reason that you don't have a separate bank account because you actually got to give yourself all the money from the business? Is the reason that you haven't made these different changes in your business because you're scared because you haven't filed taxes? Those are bigger than the accounting tasks that I'm doing for you. It was important to me that Little Fish reflect a brand that says, I see you as a person that happens to need accounting help, not a client that's going to pay me and I'm going to walk through. Like, it's the reason why I don't take a whole lot of people at one time because I want to handhold you. And that means that I can't do that for everybody. Um, And so the promise was really this feeling of like, if you pick me, it's me and you. I'm not just going to put up financial reports and email them to you and tell you to let me know if you need anything. I'm going to be here. When you hire me for taxes, but then later on are like, what accounting system should I sign up for? I exist for you in that space. And not just on a, sure, I can tell you that. If you pay me this fee to set all these things up for you that like, I got to eat. So you have to pay for services, but that's not why I do it. And This was important to exist, um, not just here, but on the website, there's a link for our promise to say, if you pick me, this is the type of experience that I want to make sure that I give to you. Coming from a corporate environment, going to underserved creative small business owners, you still do the same amount of work for people who might not be able to pay at the same level, you do a very bespoke, almost like a white glove service where yeah, you yeah. really got your hands in different parts. And it's almost like you should be on like a retainer or something right. like that. You know, <laughs> they have an accounting that. problem. You're their go to person. How did you decide where to draw that line? What was that conversation like in your head? Like, I can't do this for everyone. So what I realized was a couple of things. One is that Little Fish was not meant to be affordable. It was meant to be accessible. And that meant I had to give you different entry points. So if you cannot afford a monthly retainer, can you afford a one-hour conversation? If you can't afford that, are you listening to the podcast? Are you reading the blog posts? Are you seeing the Instagram information that I'm giving you for free? If you can do that and you can't necessarily afford to pay for regular check-ins, I offer workshops. So there had to be these entry points that you could get in to say, no, everybody can't afford a monthly service and I'm not doing it for free and I'm not doing it for cheap. But if you pay me to do it, this is the type of service that I'm going to offer to you. And if you're willing to invest in that, I'm going to make sure that you're good. That kind of whittled people out on its own because there were people who, one, knew that they couldn't afford it, um, but needed something. 
And there were other people who said, I know that I need this. I'm willing to invest at this point. What can I do for that? So one of the things that I tell my clients that I also had to tell myself was, I'm not trying to take a thousand of y'all a month in order to eat. So my pricing had to be reflective of, I want to make sure that it's not so high that nobody can afford me, but it's not so low that if I don't take everybody in the city, there's no way that I can create a life for myself. And that kind of led to the follow-up question of, if you're falling in that in-between, what do you do for the people who still can't afford it? Because obviously, unless I bring it down to that point that I'm taking a million people, there are people who can't pay for it. And that's kind of what led me to the podcast. Um, I started a podcast called Fish Food. All the episodes are about 15 minutes or less where I thought, even if you didn't have time to talk to me, if you didn't have the money to sign off for one of the services, what information could I give you so that you could at least get started? So you didn't feel like, I have no idea and I have no money, so I'm just not going to do anything. Um, And I think I realized really early on that there's a lot of information that I can give you. You still can't do what I do. So how much of it can you take care of for yourself before you get to a point where you either can or want to pay somebody to take it over for you? Please tell us the name of your podcast. It's a great name. Come on. (laughs) Yep. My podcast is called Fish Food. So you hit the ground running um, with your business. You've blasted through a bunch of things that take people years to do. Your branding, you've got your podcast, you've got your different (laughs) tiers of entry. You're ushering people into being long-term paying clients. What have been some of your biggest challenges and struggles? I say one that I alluded to earlier is like, there aren't, I didn't know people who did what I did. And so when I started a business, I didn't know like, for example, where do you get tax updates? Hmm. What do you sign up for so that you know what's happening? Where do you meet other people who can tell you what tax program they use or what CRM accountants use? Because if you look at it online, it's catered towards creatives or makers or consultants or people like that. But what does it look like when I need an additional level of security to hold my stuff down? And so that was, uh, and still is kind of a, a hurdle that I have to get over. I would say another one is, I didn't have enough systems at the beginning because I was the only person doing it. And so it was all in my head. And then I would just make it. Like I said earlier, somebody would say enough things about, you know, where is this link? And I think, oh, I need to make a social page for my website. And now that exists for you all. So having it so that everything that I did didn't feel like I was starting from scratch and taking the time to step back from work to build that was really difficult because it meant that, Little Fish had to close for a couple of weeks so that I could do that. And, you know, I have the same feelings as any other entrepreneur of like, oh my gosh, if I say that I'm not available for the next month, are people still going to be there when I come back? I think entrepreneurs in general, we just don't give ourselves enough credit for the stuff that we did do. And so this idea that like, yeah, I'm closed, but the scheduler is open. So you just go out there and schedule an appointment for when I'm open again and not this feeling of we went dark. So I was still posting on Instagram. I was still highlighting other people in the space. I was still letting you know that, hey, we're going to be reopened in a couple of weeks. You can schedule your appointment here. And I think I had to get myself out of, but the systems aren't in place and this is not really what you want to do and lean back on. But you did some stuff and that stuff is good. So lean on that while you build out the other pieces that don't exist yet.
oftentimes when we talk about branding and design and visuals and aesthetics, when we're talking about black creatives, black entrepreneurs, anyone who's putting up something visual for other people to see, there's usually in mainstream conversation a division line between Mm -hmm. what's thought of as black aesthetics and then what the quote unquote mainstream world perceives as what is at a super professional level. Yeah, yeah. What I love about your visuals is that you're authentically black, but you can put your visuals next to any mainstream brand Mm -hmm. and it holds up. Yeah. How did you get there? And are you consciously aware that your business is kind of set apart from other businesses creatively? There are ways that I see that. So like one of the things that I've been really intentional about is who I hire to help me, who is on my team. When, um, I put up stock photos, what color those arms are, what color those hands are, that they make sure that they fall in line with the brand aesthetic that I want Little Fish to have, but like we are black over here. And so one of the things that I knew early on and that I talked about earlier is that I knew that if I was going to show up as my full self, there were some ways that I was going to be expected to tamper down things of like... You know, even the the small big things that black women deal with. Your hair can't be too wild. You know, you can't be too flamboyant in color and clothes. And you have to make choices about the way that you show up to events. And, you know, for me, I have several, a lot of tattoos. Do you cover those? Are you taking pictures that go up on LinkedIn with a cardigan on to make sure that they're all covered? And so my thought was there had to be some balance. I walk around every day in this black body, in this way, and that's how you're going to see me online. And you're going to see my face, and you're going to see the people that I put on to help me, that I make sure that I tag them when they take my picture or do service for me so that you can see that I'm also working with other black creatives. And that, by extension, shows that that aesthetic is changing. And so when you look at my photos and I tag the photographer and then you go look at her stuff, it is another example of yo, that's another black aesthetic that looks really good. Um, When I put pictures up that are my hands or my sister's hands or somebody else's to say, yeah, see how I did the same picture or the same picture idea that gets floated around, except that there are black people in this photo. When we have this business meeting and we're looking at a conference table, see how there's all black people here and notice the difference between that. So this subversive feeling of, Yeah, I do accounting and I'm an accountant, except that I'm a black woman first. And so that needs to show up in the same way that all the rest of these things happen. You need to also know that I'm a black woman doing this work and there's something different about that. And it's funny because I've had clients who have come to me and said, I specifically wanted a black woman CPA and could not find one. And so that being their first thought, then coming to my page, coming to my website, coming to my Instagram and saying, I wanted a black woman CPA. Your stuff looks good. So I could call you because some of the reasons that maybe I wasn't hiring somebody else is because I went to their website. They had one page and it just said, we can do your taxes. Call us. (laughs) Um, And so it was it's been intentional. And it's also been like it's not just me out here. The people that I support as clients, as friends, as a, 
a customer of theirs, they deserve to get that same kind of attention. So when you're looking for a black photographer, designer, upholsterer, you know, web coder, whoever you're looking for, I got those people too. And they have aesthetics and they do good work. And if I can act as a hub in any way, accidental or on purpose to say, if I can do this and I'm surrounding myself with excellence of black people who are also doing this, then it gets harder for you to reject the notion that we're able to do it and do it well. You've said some key words that we love using on this podcast. Jin's just going to start yelling into the microphone. Let me turn her down. I'm like electrified. I'm just like, oh my God. First thing you said was subversive, which I think is an excellent word, which is the word. That's the the word we work subversively. All the time. Very key key points. You've created a solar system Mm -hmm. of black excellence around you. Yeah. The black aesthetic is usually perceived by mainstream culture as monolithic. It yep. only looks one way. Or not good enough. Or not yeah. good enough, but mostly not, also not good enough just because it's like, I feel it's like different. it's going to look like a club poster. Yep. I'm going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> or or a liquor ad. Yeah. Yep. And that's what you see, but you have introduced this variety and then have also like used yourself to amplify people who yeah. are in that nuanced and excellent space. Because again, if it's bigger than the numbers, then why why else do I do it? Right. If I can't act even as a small platform to say, there's other people out here. You know, it's not just me. There's mm-hmm. lawyers. There's computer programmers. There are other people out here doing these things at even a medium level. Because I think that that's the problem too. There's either like Oprah. And then there's everybody else. I know, right? And so and we love Oprah. We do. Yeah, we, we do. love she's, her. She's, she's a god. an anomaly. She's a god. Un- I mean, she's a god. Seems like yeah, an really. unattainable goal. No one right. talks about the middle people, the middle ground. And like, what can you do then? What is what is your gift to be able to share? That if you got three hundred followers or you have fifteen memberships on boards, what can you do there to make sure that? Not only our voices amplified, but also that the work is amplified. The exactly. other people are doing stuff that I don't do, but you should be looking at them too. Right. I mean, your Instagram is Little Fish Accounting. Um, I encourage everybody to look at this Instagram because it's not only um, visually appealing and colorful and consistent and concise, um, but the messaging around it is powerful. Um, and this brings me to um, ask you, you're an accountant, not dissimilar from a lawyer, as an African-American person in those spaces, um, generally um, people that work in their spaces are very averse to risk. Mm-hmm. They do not put themselves out there. They certainly don't show up like this um, with the confidence that I'm seeing on your on your platforms. How are you able to subvert any aversion to making a mistake as an accountant? Because you're, you do have a perfection of numbers right. and you're a black woman. What are, how did you get to this place where you have this beautiful messaging? Small business doesn't mean small time. You know, yeah. I mean, that's a great message here. You have a, a post that says today's indicator, 15% recommended average monthly savings. You have a great picture of you in front of um, what looks like um, something on the coast, you know, with your, mm-hmm. with your laptop. Um, you took a picture of, of a mural, greetings from nowhere. These are, these are things that are not even necessarily related to accounting, right. but somehow I'm coming across um, a person that I know can really rock out for sure on anything financial related to my business. I think I realized that I was just like my clients. And Mm. so if you're more than your business, then you recognize that I am too. So when I put up 
uh, indicators or when I put up, you know, pictures or, you know, that I'm working somewhere else, that all of those are related to how I exist in the world and then how that worldview gets brought to the work that I do for you. And so if you see that, you know, I went on vacation and you know that I'm taking breaks, then well, in a lighter way. It. We know you're killing it. What, doing but that, what you also which is know is maybe I'll give you a little bit more grace when it takes you longer to send me an email because I know mm. you're a regular person behind it. You know what I mean? Like there are all of these little ways that I'm like, I'm an accountant and also a person and you're a person and I want to make sure that I treat you as such. And so Instagram has got to reflect that too. How are you making money? You've monetized your services. Um, what did you do to create this you know, this sales funnel for yourself. You have a platinum package, the gold package, the silver package. You have ways that people can instantaneously schedule a meeting with you mm-hmm. um, and they can buy your services. What is, how's that been working out for you? What's been, what's I been driving what this? people ask for. So when I first started, I thought that everybody would just want taxes. And so that's what I did. And then I did taxes and people started asking, well, if you do taxes, could you also help me with bookkeeping throughout the year? And I was like, yeah, I actually can do that. And so it kind of got built by client need. People would tell me what they needed. I would assess whether or not that was, one, something I was comfortable doing, two, something I wanted to do. There's stuff that I'm good at that I don't want to make a job because then you all will ask me for it and I'll be resentful that I have to take care of it. And so there are some things. A good example is personal financial planning. People ask me for it all the time. I don't do it. I don't want to learn all the nuances of it. I will refer you to someone that does. But the things that I'm good at that feel symbiotic to other things that I already offer um, that I feel like I can provide at a price that feels good to me and feels accessible to other people, I add that as a service line. And then I try to narrow down. You can't do 5,000 things. You can do like four. So what do those look like? And some of that came from like process management. The fewer things I have, the fewer things I have to manage. What's next for you? I mean, you, you've got this wonderful new podcast with the yeah. best name ever. Um, you just were on um, NPR. You have this amazing website that's super populated with all kinds of amazing SEO for sure on the back end. And you've got a lot of people posting and sharing your content. You have great followers on Instagram. Um, I noticed on LinkedIn that you're looking for another employee. What, what are you trying to do now? Are you, you mentioned earlier that you were trying to stay within a certain size. Yep. So I just hired. Um, So the goal is to keep our team small, perform the work that we're doing. I think one of the things that the book said that really resonated with me is that you have to find a line of enough. What book? Um, Company of One. Oh, the Company of One book. Okay. Company of One. So if your line is what is enough, then the goal is not to make $10 million dollars. I mean, I could, but I probably got to hire a lot of people or build a lot of systems or be really available in a way that I don't want to. So I had to decide, what do I want my life to look like? How do I let Little Fish play its proper place in there? And who do I need to help me stay there? And so now the goal is to keep a team that feels um, feels consistent, make sure that Little Fish is providing excellent service and excellent content to people that need it and really just doing more of the same. Can you build wealth this way? Yeah. 
Sustainable wealth? Yeah. Wow. Okay. We need to talk later. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't you think, Esther? I mean, like, we, we are, tr- I want to know how to build generational wealth. Absolutely. And, and um, you're describing things that when I think about staying where I am, yeah. that does not sound like building sustainable wealth to me that I'm trying to figure out how do I pair but those also two together. My wealth had to be offset by freedom. Okay. My life was not going to be, if it had to be bound by this, I might as well be working at a job. Okay. Gotcha. So my, what I need and what I consider enough and what feels like wealth to me had to be offset by the fact that I'm not working every day of the week to get there. That was a great conversation. Thank you so much for spending time with us and telling us no, about your no entrepreneurial problem. journey. It was phenomenal, Keila. I just, I just am, I'm in awe of you and I'm impressed and I'm excited. And I'm, I, that is super exciting I just, I, I love what you've done and I, I love you. You're great. Thank this you. is so much fun. Yeah. I love being here. This was awesome. We don't think, I don't think as an accountant, I have these conversations very often we'll anyway. Now. So Let's yeah, this it. was cool. Yeah, definitely. I'm Esther Coro. And I'm Ginger Birkenbuehl. And we'll see you next time. The Honest Field Guide podcast is produced by Burke Creative, written and created by Ginger Birkenbuehl and Estery Coro. The podcast is recorded in the innovation and technology capital of the Midwest, Chicago, at Stomping Ground Studios in Ukrainian Village. Original music is written by and provided courtesy of Utah Carroll. Follow Honest Field Guide on Instagram and Twitter. The opinions expressed on the Honest Field Guide are opinions only and only represent the views of Ginger Birkenbuehl and Esther Ikora. E.